As you're being seated, if you can find your Bible and open it up with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 today, Luke chapter 18. So when it comes to your life, where are you investing your life? Now, some of you say, that's a funny thing, Lash, investing my life. I'm not investing my life. I'm just spending it, you know, I just, wherever I'm supposed to go, I just spend it today, spend it tomorrow, I don't really have much intentionality, I'm just, whatever I feel like, that's what I spend my life doing. For others, you may say, if you're really honest, I, I kind of spend my life just chasing after things, you know, I, I, I want this thing, I want that thing, and so for many, life can become the accumulation of things. Have you ever really stopped and just took inventory of how many things you have? I mean, just really look at your house sometime. Just look at your shoes. How many pairs of shoes do you have? Okay, I'll back off of that one right there. For some, uh, life can become the accumulation of experiences. In fact, sociologists are beginning dialoguing about this, that particularly young baby boomers and Gen Xers tend to collect experiences like their parents and grandparents collected things. Well, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is going to turn the investment world upside down because he's going to suggest to us that rather than chasing after things or chasing after experiences, trying to hold on to whatever we can get in this world, that we should invest the totality of ourselves in him. And that whenever we do that, that becomes the foundational investment that brings the rest of life into purpose and brings joy to our lives. So look with me, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. A certain man, or certain ruler, asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we're introduced to this man that is found in the other Gospels as well. And as you piece together his story, we discover three things about him. First of all, he was wealthy. In fact, he's often called the rich young ruler. So he was wealthy. In biblical days, if you had financial wealth, people often associated that with God's blessing. And so to the people... Because he was financially well-off, he was thought of as somebody that God really liked. In fact, if you were poor in biblical days, a lot of times the perception was, what did you do? What did you do or what did your parents do so that you don't have financial well-being? Now, it also appears that this young man came to Jesus and that he had inherited a lot of his money from his family. So he... He was fortunate. He came from a wealthy family, and he inherited a fortune. We also see that he was young. So not only was he wealthy, but he had a lot of life in front of him. Perhaps he was about the same age as Jesus. Maybe his late 20s, early 30s. He was a young rising star, an up-and-comer. He was on Forbes' list of of the most influential people under the age of 40. I mean, he was a young all-star, and he was a ruler. Perhaps he was a synagogue ruler, a mayor of a community, but at some level, he had civic authority, and he was seen as someone who had great authority and influence within 
the community. But he had a problem. And his problem was that he was afraid of losing what he had. He was rich. He was young. He was powerful. And he was afraid that he'd lose it all. Some of you say, well, I'll take his problems. (laughs) I'll take those problems. There's a reality here that I think we need to digest, and that is that having, having much is, is often just as, if not more stressful, than having little. You remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12? He said, to whom much is given, much is required. And when God blesses you with talents or resources, realize that just because you may have things, it's not going to solve all your problems. In fact, for a lot of people, it often makes life even more stressful. So he comes to Jesus, and he asks this question. Now, you've got to kind of dive into the question to really get the context. First of all, he he says, good teacher, good teacher. And then he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we tend to have a little bit of a Baptist filter whenever we go to the Word of God. And so when we read that question, we almost put him in our shoes and we think that he's coming to Jesus to say, okay, tell me how to be saved. Tell me what I need to do. What's the sinner's prayer? I want to be baptized. I want to join a life group and become a part of the church. Tell me what must I do to inherit eternal life. But if you really dive down into the context, it, it seems like he's asking Jesus, what do I need to do to keep what I have? What do I need to do to have what I have and to have it forever and to not lose the stuff that I have? So ultimately, this guy was brash. Good teacher. Hey, buddy. Hey, friend. He's kind of like the guy that pulls up to the restaurant in the Lamborghini and gets out, tips the maitre d' $100 and says, I'll take the seat, without the wind- seat by the window without the weight. Just a little bit brash in his approach. And people miss this in the story that he's essentially telling Jesus, name the price. Name it. Tell me what I must do so that I can keep what I have and keep it for all eternity. So Jesus comes back at him pretty sharply. Why do you call me good? Jesus asks in verse 19. No one is good except God alone. Why do you call me good? Now, three quick things here. Number one, Jesus is not denying that he is God. Some people have looked in this passage and said, well, look, Jesus Jesus denies that he's God here. But there's numerous other passages where Jesus talks about how he and the Father are one. The Bible talks about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. Jesus is not denying that he is God here. He's entering into this conversation with a purpose in mind. I do think that Jesus is rebuking the brashness of this young man. And thirdly, I think that Jesus is wanting to emphasize to him, I'm much more than just a good teacher. A lot of people like to reduce Jesus to just a good teacher. And I think Jesus is wanting this guy to understand I'm much more than just a good teacher. I'm the Son of God. In fact, Jesus is the source of this man's riches, the source of his health, the source of his power. All that he had ultimately came from 
Jesus. And so then Jesus gives him an answer to his question. Essentially, he tells him, the only thing you can do to inherit eternal life is to live a perfect life. Look at verse 20. Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. So Jesus goes to the big ten, the ten commandments, and he withdraws from those commandments, five here, and notice that the five that Jesus emphasizes all have to do with our relationships towards others. Do not commit adultery. Be faithful to your wife. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't, don't give false testimony. Those are all about uh, citizenship and living well within the society. And then the, the fifth one, honor your father and mother, dives right into the importance of family. All these that Jesus pulled out dealt with one of this guy's core problems, which were others, caring about others. You see, everybody wanted to be like this guy, but all this guy had really done is inherit some money and look good. And he had a sin problem. He was brash, he was arrogant, and he was self-centered. When I was a kid, there was this cartoon that was on TV that I used, to, I used to watch called Mr. Magoo. Anybody ever watch Mr. Magoo? Students, have you all even heard of Mr. Magoo? Yeah, it's, well, let me tell you about back when I was a boy. Anyway, there was this cartoon. That's kind of how he walked, you know. He, he was this older guy, and the, the comedy in the cartoon was that he was extremely nearsighted. And so he was always causing all these problems everywhere he went because he really couldn't see. But he never would admit that he couldn't see. And so there was chaos around him. And Mr. Magoo, he was just kind of as happy as, as possible. He, he didn't realize all the troubles that he was causing. So this guy shoots back at Jesus. Well, all these I've kept since I was a boy. I haven't broken any of these. I've, I've always been, been a good, good Mama said I was a good boy. I never did anything wrong. I'm good. When I was a kid and I got caught te- cheating on a test, Mama said, it was just a misunderstanding. Whenever I burned down the science lab, it was because the school was careless, you know? So this guy, Jesus says, well, you, you need to follow these commandments. And he's like, well, this is, the, this is the answer I'm looking for because in his mind, he was golden. He was golden. He had done everything right. And probably he did have some good qualities. If you met this fella, he was, he was well off. He was young and vibrant. He was powerful. He was probably intelligent. When he smiled, ding, his teeth would twinkle. Kind of guy you want to date your daughter. Well, not my daughters, but kind of guy you, you guys may, <laughs> may want to date, date your daughters. So... I'm kind of excited. We've, uh, we've added all these new deacons to the deacon body. Because i got two daughters that are they're going to look like their mom. They're, I mean, they're beautiful. And so I've been thinking, what do I do? I saw all these prom pictures. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, my day is coming. So here's, here's my plan. First of all, I'm going to require that the guy fill out the application. Okay? <laughs> you know, he'll put, like, where his dentist is and stuff like that in case it's needed. And, and then we'll have him, like, come over to the house to pick her up. And all the deacons will be in the living room. 
okay? And they'll just do a, an interview with them, you know? All these big men that have known my little girl since they were little, and then after that, we'll wish him well and go from there. Anyway, that, that was all beside, beside the point. So, so this guy probably had, had a lot of good qualities, but he wasn't perfect. He hadn't fulfilled all the commandments all of his life. And now Jesus really has him right where he wants him because now Jesus can really begin to dive into the spiritual matter. So the Bible says when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. So Jesus tells him, liquidate your assets and follow me. Now, Jesus is not saying that you'll have eternal life if you sell all your stuff. If that's what Jesus was saying, then we should do a massive garage sale this afternoon, right? Okay? Because I want the eternal life more than I need an old Nintendo 64. Jesus was saying, you will have eternal life if you invest your life in me. The key to understanding the passage was that he was telling this guy, rather than chasing after all these things and trying to hang on to all this stuff, realize that you can lose all that, but what really matters is that you have followed me that you have made the investment of simple faith in the Savior. Pride, selfishness, greed, the elusive chase for an adrenaline rush, they are not the paths to the life that you've always wanted. Eternal life is found when you invest the totality of you in the one who gave himself entirely for you. And so we begin to discover that when you think about the world spiritually, a life invested in Christ never dies. It lives eternally. It lives on here on earth. Because whenever you invest your life in Christ, whenever you really place your faith in Him, guess what? You begin living life differently. You have a different perspective you begin investing your lives in ways that makes eternal impact. You begin caring about things that maybe didn't used to matter to you. You begin getting beyond your selfishness and caring about other people and using your life in ways that makes a difference. And when you do that, you have impact that outlives your life. A part of my job is that I get to be with people whenever they welcome new life into this world. And I also walk with people when they say goodbye to others that they've loved dearly. And one of the things that I have observed is the people that spend their lives investing in others, the people that truly have an understanding of who Christ is and they place their faith and they place their lives in Him and that investment becomes foundational to everything else in life, those people make a difference those people impact others. And their legacy outlives them here on earth and in heaven. 
when our faith is in Christ, we inherit eternal life. Because a life invested in Christ never dies. It lives on here on earth because you've impacted people and in heaven because he has conquered death. Now here's the tragedy of the story. The rich young ruler didn't get it. The rich young ruler missed it. In fact, in verse 23 it says, When he heard this, he became very sad because he was wealthy. So Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you may not realize this, but globally, you are considered very, very wealthy. In fact, I would venture to guess that probably everybody in the room falls into this category. If you were to look at yourself globally, you're probably in the top 1% of the world's population when it comes to your wealth. So, possessing nice things does not keep you from eternal life. But being possessed by nice things can often keep you from eternal life. If you are possessed by things that don't last, if that becomes your consumption and you spend all your life chasing after things, chasing after the next experience, and that's how you invest your life, those things very well may keep you from the one thing that really matters. Being wealthy, being well off, that doesn't keep you from eternal life, but being possessed by those things It does. And that was the problem here. This guy was possessed by his possessions. (laughs) And so sadly, this rich young ruler had a conversation with God. Wow. I mean, he went one-on-one with the Son of God, and it appears that he died apart from God. Now, at this point, the camera shifts to the disciples, to the onlookers, And they were absolutely dumbfounded. This whole conversation's been going on, and they're like, really? And so those who heard this asked Jesus, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with God, with man, is possible with God. So they look at Jesus, and they essentially say, Jesus, this guy has everything. He he is kind of what we aspire to be, and You're telling us he doesn't measure up? Grasp this. Make sure that you catch this, okay? Grab a hold of it. It is impossible for any person to do enough, be good enough, or be nice enough to inherit eternal life. The question of what must I do to inherit eternal life, you can't do it. It is impossible for you to do enough to inherit eternal life. So the emphasis is not on what you do, but what God has done. And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He has made the impossible possible. And we may have eternal life through Christ. So at this point, verse 28, uh, Peter said to him, 
Hey, Jesus, we've left all we had to follow you. We're good on this one. You know, this guy, he, he wouldn't leave it to follow you, but we have. I love the Apostle Peter. And Jesus looks at him and says, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age. Jesus tells Peter, yes, you have. You've made a lot of sacrifices. You followed me. You've left your fishing business. Changed your lifestyle. You've placed your faith in me. And Peter, you're finding the joy of life. You're finding what being alive is all about. Because you're investing your life in this age, in the things that matter. And 2,000 years later, we still find teaching and meaning and direction from the lives of these disciples that left everything to follow Christ. And so Jesus says, you're going to receive many times as much in this age. Your investment is going to be multiplied here on earth and the passage ends. And in the age to come, eternal life. In the age to come, you'll also be rewarded because the investment that you made in Christ with your faith, it'll last forever. December 12th, 1840. Albemarle County, Virginia. The cry breaks through the night because... A little girl has been born. Her parents hold her and name her Charlotte Diggs Moon. Her family had a nickname for her, and as a little girl, they started calling her Lottie. You may have heard of Lottie Moon. There's an offering, a missions offering that churches take part in every December that is named in her honor. Growing up, she actually resisted Jesus. Lottie was extraordinarily intelligent. She had a, a quick wit. She was highly driven. She was a young woman growing up in a society that often tried to push young women back. And instead, she, she had goals and dreams, and she wanted to accomplish some things. And she thought to herself, I don't really have time to think much about spiritual things. But God kept chasing her. And when she was 18 years of age, the Holy Spirit caught her. And she placed her faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And she was baptized there in the church. She went to college. In 1861, at the age of 21, she became one of the very first women in the South to earn a master's degree. Now think about that. We're talking about 1861. She's 21 years of age, and she earns her master's degree. So she becomes a school teacher, and she teaches school in three different states. And it wasn't until 1872, at that point, Lottie is now 32 years of age, that she found her call. I don't know the circumstances that really stirred her heart. It could have been a worship service like this, where the preacher was talking, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of her. And he began to stir her heart, 
and she decided that she needed to move. And so she moved to the Xingtong province of China, and there she began investing her life. Her assignment was to teach young girls and to be their teacher, but in her mind, her assignment went well beyond just teaching. She was going to be a missionary. Understand this. Whatever career God has called you to can be leveraged for the gospel. There are opportunities through our professional skills to be missionaries wherever we might be. And so she taught school for 39 years there in China. At first, she was rejected. They told her to go home. They didn't want to have anything to do with her. She eventually began to discover that in order to connect with people that weren't like her, she was going to have to change. And so she changed the way that she dressed. She changed her language. And she changed her customs. And with every change, it helped her connect with the people that were right in front of her. But it, often dis- it also distanced her from her background, from her home. She came across something that was very powerful. Cookies. And the smell of cookies. People have always been driven by food. You'll see that next week. <laughs> the barbecue will bring the masses. And so she, she began baking cookies. And everybody started coming by her house to eat cookies. And one by one, she got to meet the neighbors and talk to them and be a minister to them. She once fell in love. The man that she fell in love with was a remarkable man himself. He was one of the first professors at Southern Seminary. But eventually she discovered that her fiancé had shifted his beliefs, and he no longer believed the Bible to be true. And so she broke it off with him. In some of her letters, she writes to him how she will always love him, In fact, because of her love for him, she chose to never marry anybody else. But she said, I'm not going to bring you to China because you'll hurt my work because you don't truly believe in the truth of God's word. And so she ended the engagement. If you look at her life in the physical world, she had nothing. In fact, you can go to Fort Worth and go to Southwestern Seminary and see her house and see her oven and see the way that she lived in the physical world she had very very little she once wrote home to the uh, uh, to the international mission board please say to the new missionaries they are coming to a life of hardship responsibility and constant self-denial but she began to believe in the power of the spiritual world let me ask you this question do you believe in the power of the spiritual world Do you believe in the power of investing your life in those things unseen that God is doing in the lives of others? She has one of the most amazing quotes I've ever come across. I have a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. She believed fully that until God was done with her, nothing was going to hurt her, nothing was going to take her, But she was there. In the spiritual world, Lottie had everything. She once wrote, Why should we not do something 
that will prove that we are really in earnest in claiming to be followers of Him. Who, though He was rich for our sake, became poor. And so here's, here's my prayer for us today. With every sermon that I preach, I have a prayer that I try to identify. And my prayer for you today is that you will invest the totality of you in Christ. That that will be your foundational investment. You say, God, Lash, what does God want from me? He wants you. Place your faith, place your trust totally in Jesus Christ. Make that foundational. And when that investment has been made, guess what? It begins paying dividends. And that investment that is made in Christ overflows into your marriage, into your parenting, into your business. It overflows into the soccer field, into the classroom, into the waiting room, into the community. Wherever it is that you might go, that investment continues to overflow. Why? Because foundationally you understand where your value comes from and who you are in Christ. And you are living life with a singleness of purpose that says, in anything that I say, anything that I do, the attitudes that I have, I have one simple goal, and that is to honor God. And as I honor Him, I trust Him. And wherever He leads me, wherever He sends me, I go and I go trusting Him and I go desiring to live my life in such a way that it it, it honors Him. Living life beyond me, living life beyond the trap of selfishness, living life beyond being possessed by things and, and, and thinking that you're always trying to have to measure up to all these people's expectations, living life with that singleness of purpose that says, I want to honor my God. Whatever that looks like, wherever He sends me, that's what I want to do because foundationally, I've made an investment. I've invested me in Him. I've placed my faith simply in Christ. And here's here's what the cloud of witnesses proclaim. Here's what Abraham complains, here, here, proclaims, here's what Ruth says, here's what Esther says, here's, here, here's what uh, 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 the, the apostles say, here's what Paul says, here, here's what Lottie Moon says, here's what these people say. Whenever you, when you make that investment, you, you then begin to experience the unbelievable joy and vitality of being alive. Because in your life, You're living for the very reasons that you were created. And there's purpose, and there's joy, and there's meaning, and there's impact, and there's legacy. And you spend your time in ways that go beyond time. You spend your time in ways that touches eternity. I can't imagine what God may do with your life when the Holy Spirit of God takes full command of it and you follow Him, whatever that looks like. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment. For anyone that's here today that needs to trust in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to come see me. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here after the service as well. 
And I would love to talk with you about what it looks like to trust in Christ. I'd love to be a pastor to you. If there's anything that I can pray with you about, it's always my honor to do so. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you and we ask that you might that you might minister to our hearts and show us where our areas where our areas of blindness are where we just don't see it. Help us, Father, to live our lives invested in you. And Lord, I pray that you might use our lives in ways that we can never imagine. I thank you for this church. I thank you for how what happens in this room is not contained to this room, but that every day, every week, what you're doing in our hearts is being seen in our marriages, in our families, it's touching our schools. That in this room we have teachers and police officers and firefighters and medical personnel and we have engineers and business people. All sorts of individuals that are going out into the world around us and living life with a singleness of purpose to honor you. And as they go, they're touching eternity, making a difference in those things that last. And Father, I pray that you will help us to see it when it's right in front of us. When the Son of God is right in front of us, may we not miss it, because every day there's opportunities to make a difference in the life of somebody, to share the gospel, to care about someone, to meet a person at their point of need, and help us not to be caught by our possessions so that we miss those things that really matter. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this incredible church. And I pray, Father, that you will cause us to be stirred so that we may want more. More of you. More of your presence. More of your power. And may we stand in amazement as we see people that we love and know come alive in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship. Church, let's stand. Let's sing praises to God.